This is Tea to Green, Central Ohio's premier golf show. Now here's your host, recipient of the Lifetime Achievement Award by the Southern Ohio PGA of America and Hall of Fame, Skip Mossick. And a very pleasant, good Saturday morning, everyone. Welcome into another edition of Tea to Green here on The Fan. Weather not quite as spectacular as last weekend, but still some opportunities to get out and play, and hopefully there's some golf plans coming up in your future. Meanwhile, another busy week in the golf world. The PGA Tour is in Mexico this week. We'll check in there in just a few minutes. Big news last week for a local PGA professional who we've had on in the past is Wyatt Worthington, who teaches over at the Golf Depot, finished tied for fourth in the PGA Professional Championship a week and a half ago, and that finish gets him into next month's PGA Championship down at Southern Hills, where Tiger Woods, by the way, made an appearance this week. We'll visit with Wyatt Worthington later this hour. And as always, we have another great golf prize pack to give you a shot at this week as well. We'll have details on that shortly. But we begin by bringing in our old friend Bob Herrig, who writes for Morning Read on SI.com. Bob has a new book out just released this week. It's available just about everywhere. Tiger and Phil, golf's most fascinating rivalry. And Bob, good morning. Tell us, I guess, the whole idea behind the book, how long it took, and if there were any challenges putting it all together. Yeah, thanks, Skip. I appreciate you having me. And uh, uh, the idea sort of came together after Tiger won the Masters in 2019. So we're talking three years ago. And it evolved into uh, sort of doing a deep dive into both Tiger and Phil's careers as they related to each other. Um, and, you know, they were, they were the two predominant forces in the game for two and a half decades. And I just sort of thought it would be neat to, uh, you know, take a look at their ebbs and flows, some of their conflicts or, you know, the tension between them. And there was clearly, there was clearly some animosity, although never overt, never, you know, egregious, just, you know, they saw each other as, as a threat. Certainly Phil saw Tiger as a threat. Tiger was a threat to everybody and he was hard to beat. But Tiger also knew how good Phil was. And, uh, you know, I take it all the way back to the beginning when both those guys were incredible players as kids. You know, I mean, there's very, very few uh, athletes today where you say, oh, wow, that person can't miss. I mean, how many times do we say that and then they do miss? You know, but Tiger and Phil were both can't miss and then they exceeded it. So, uh, it's been fun. I mean, sure, there were some challenges. Uh, COVID was a huge challenge. Um, it meant that's kind of when the project got started. Uh, right at the beginning of COVID is when I found out that I was going to go ahead with this. And uh, it's kind of nice to see it in, in its uh, completed form. Bob, you alluded to their upbringings really couldn't be more different. Uh, I mean, Mickelson grew up a country club kid with money. Woods did not. Mickelson perceived as the great family man. We know all about Tiger's transgressions. Regardless, they're both loaded now. But I guess how much did their different upbringings lend itself to their rivalry? Yeah, I mean, they were they were completely different. I mean, that's one aspect of it. That Both of their fathers were heavily involved, but Earl Woods was, was, uh, you know, a bigger than life character and Phil's dad, Phil senior was more in the background, you know? So there was that aspect to it. Phil's dad was a pilot, uh, you know, also had a military background, uh, but they, you know, I don't know that they were affluent, but they, they were, 
you know, they certainly had more means than Tiger's parents did. Uh, you know, he played at a, at a public Navy golf course. Uh, and, and, you know, they had, uh, they had a, they had to piece it together to get him around to play where he wanted to play and do all those things. And then, uh, you know, Phil, Phil was a famous guy probably before Tiger was, you know, Phil was four or five years older. He was winning NCAA titles in college. He won a tour event as an amateur, which Tiger never did, never even came close. Uh, obviously one's left-handed, one's right-handed, one's biracial, you know, uh, and when they started their pro careers, they lived on opposite ends of the country. I mean, they were really different people. I mean, the idea that they should have been friends was always a bit far-fetched. Um, and, you know, I think there was, there was more of an, an attitude, certainly from Tiger, I'm not going to let my rivals get close. You know, he kept everybody at arm's length. He didn't really practice with other players much, except sort of his mentors, Mark O'Meara and John Cook. You know, those are the guys that he, that, you know, they, he didn't perceive them as threats. And so they became his friends. Phil was far more outgoing, you know, engaging with fans, you know, played practice rounds for money every week. He was, he sort of reveled in that. And uh, yeah, you're right. You couldn't, you really couldn't get two more different characters. And that's sort of what rivalries are. I mean, Bird and Magic were the same way. You know, they played on opposite coasts and they, you know, they came from completely different backgrounds. Uh, uh, and in sports, you know, I, I like to use the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry as an example of, you know, in college football, is how, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter if one's record is way better than the other. Like, I've been asked that question. Clearly, Tiger has the much better record. You know, nobody compares to Tiger. But Phil's record is pretty darn good. And you wouldn't not look at him as a rival just because your record is better. Just like Ohio State had, had the best of it with Michigan there for several years, a long time. I'm sure they didn't exactly, you know, think less of Michigan when it came time to playing them. Right. You know, they knew that that was their rival. And, you know, finally Michigan got them. You know, and that's that's what happened in Tiger and, Tiger and Phil. Phil finally got Tiger once in a while. It's just inevitable. So, um, yeah, it's it's a, it's it's complicated, frankly. It's a nuanced rivalry that that still continues today, frankly. I mean, with with what's been going on just this year, I'm not convinced that they're that they're all that friendly right now. I I, I see them as being on opposite sides of. Uh, of this uh, rival league issue. We're visiting with Bob Herrig this morning, T to green here on the fan Bob's new book, tiger and Phil golf's most fascinating rivalry was just released this past week. And, you know, Bob, we were talking about their differences. Uh, one big similarity between both of those guys is neither are overly open about extended interviews and the like, I guess, were they willing to give you any additional insight when you put the book together? And were you able to get any additional information from some of their peers on tour? Yeah. I mean, the, the the majority of the book is the reporting from talking to others about them. You know, the people they played with, their caddies, their coaches, their, you know, their early coaches, um, you know, tournament directors, other players, other caddies. Um, I have a lot of material from both players from my reporting over the years. But as far as the book specifically, when it came to Tiger, I was at the point where I would have wanted to talk to him in early 2021. You know, I had about six months left to, to get the book done, and I had done a good bit of legwork to that point. And I was going to try to tell him at some point personally 
And that was impossible. We couldn't get near these guys. You couldn't go in a locker room during COVID. I wasn't going to just talk to them in the parking lot about it. Normally, I could have maybe talked to them during a pro-am. That was not allowed. So I made it, I, you know, I, I let one of his representatives know that I wanted to tell him about it. And it, it turned out I never did get to tell him about it personally. He was given word about it. Um, I didn't get the sense he was thrilled, but I didn't get the sense he was upset either. And then my goal was, you know, I'd talk to him in a tournament here or there. Well, obviously that went out the window. He was, Tiger didn't play all year in, uh, in, in 2021. So uh, I didn't really expect help from him. And, and obviously the situation meant that that was going to be impossible. Phil was a little different. I approached him at the Players' Championship last year, and he never said no, but he never made it happen. We had like three different times where we, you know, we tried to get together or I reached out and, and it got postponed or he put me off or, hey, email me, and then I didn't hear back. Um, and, you know, frankly, I thought it would have been great for Phil to talk about some of these things. It would have, it would have really helped. Uh, but after he won the PGA Championship, it was going to be even harder to get him. And, you know, I asked Phil many questions over the years. I had many interactions with him. Uh, obviously, I, ta- I talked to his family. I talked to, uh, you know, his very first coach. I talked to Rick Smith. I talked to Butch Harmon, who coached them both. You know, so uh, unfortunately, I never did get a sit down with these guys, but that's not unusual for something like this, and especially for – you know, for, for guys who are who are as famous as they are. How about some of the other guys on tour, Bob? Were any of them willing to open up a little bit more? Because we always got the sense that many of the guys out there were either Tiger guys or Phil guys, but rarely was anybody both. Yeah, you know, I was able to get help from a lot of people. Um, you know, I talked to O'Meara and Cook. I talked to, uh, you know, people that Phil came in contact throughout, like a guy like Chris Riley, who grew up in Southern California. Um you know, I I, uh, uh, I got a lot of help from Steve Williams, uh, Tiger's first caddy. Joe LaCava, you know, I've talked to many times. Um, uh, I talked to current day players like, you know, or, you know, he's not as much current, but Tom Lehman. Past Ryder Cup captains like Harrington and Montgomery on the other side. Davis Love, Steve Stricker, you know, um, guys, guys that were in and around the game. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's probably over 100 people, maybe 125 people I spoke to uh, uh, that were not Tiger or Phil. And obviously that's an important aspect to this. Uh, you've got to you have you have to have the insight of the people who were, you know, had had the bird's eye view. Tiger and Phil, golf's most fascinating rivalry. Bob Harrigue, you hang tight. We'll have more with you coming up, including a famous story regarding one of their rare practice rounds together. OK, thank you. All right, PGA Tour is in Mexico this week. Let's get you warmed up there with some chip shots. 97.1 The Fans, T to green. Chip shots. The Norman Signature Course at Nuevo Vallarta, the site of this week's Mexico Open, scoring really good the first two days. Your leader at the midway point is John Rahm at 12 under par. We'll hear from Rahm later this hour. Alex Smalley, two back at minus 10, and then a five-way log jam at minus 9, including Patrick Reed, who says he's a big fan of this golf course. It looks like carpet, and you go onto the golf course, and it's identical. I mean, there's... It's an absolutely amazing shape, perfect shape. Uh, it's a long golf course. It has some length, but I mean, even even with the length, if there's not much wind, guys will be able to go out and attack this place. But uh, 
you know, golf course is good. I mean, you have to work the ball both ways, and you have to get really disciplined, I feel like, at this place. There's some pretty wide fairways out there, and, and you still have to set up and hit a quality golf shot because even though they're wide, you have to play from certain angles into these greens. Also at minus nine is Adam Long, 67-66 the first two days for Long, who says he's been keeping it steady. Yeah, I mean, I certainly haven't been hitting anything perfect, but um, good enough to, to score, giving myself enough chances to, to make birdies. And the, the, the misses are, you know, very okay. Um, nothing detrimental, nothing, uh, you know, way out of play or anything. So the misses are just a little off, and the good ones are good. So uh, it's been giving me enough chances. Also part of that large group at minus nine is Andrew Novak, 66-67 for Novak, who says Friday was all about recovery. Basically, I hit the ball a little bit more crooked today. Um, did not hit many fairways. Like, I, I truly think the number was three. Uh, I was never like, not really in bad spots. 18 was not a good spot, but for the most part, it was close enough where it didn't really penalize me. But uh, did a good job hitting some good approach shots, keeping it in the right spot. So when I did miss, I was pretty easy up and downs and made a bunch of putts, especially on the back nine, really got it going. 18, um, I don't know if y'all saw that live, but that was that was a bit more t-ball than golf. Honestly, from there, I still should have made par. Like It, it was you know a bit of a mess up by the green, but it is what it is. Uh, nine through two, good, two days is, is pretty good golf. Four back at minus eight sits Jonathan Bird. Good story here in Bird, who's playing with limited status and is trying to make the most of his opportunities. If you're playing the past champion category, you might go five weeks without playing a tournament, and it's just hard to keep momentum. Fortunately, I've got I've, I played my way into Bay Hill, I played my way into Phoenix, and I, I've been able to carve out a pretty good schedule so far this year. And I'm on the verge of getting in the next two weeks, which would be four in a row. So I'm just kind of tickled. To, just have more tournaments to play in. I, I started the year thinking I might get in 15. It looks like I'm going to get in more like 20. So um, I'm just happy to happy to have starts, and my game's good. So I'm trying to stay aggressive and see what I can make of it. Again, your leader at the midway point down in Mexico is John Rahm at 12 under par. Elsewhere this week, World Tour is in Spain. Oliver Becker, minus 11. He leads there by two. Champions down in Texas, Stephen Alker, Ernie Els, and Steve Stricker, minus five. They lead there by one. Corn Ferry Tour in Huntsville, Alabama. Eric Barnes, minus 11. He leads by one. LPGA in Palos Verdes. Hannah Green, minus nine. She leads by three. College Golf Men's Big Ten Championships this week over in French Lick. Ohio State, 10th after the opening round. Michigan State, crazy good yesterday. Minus 12 as a team. Michigan State leads by eight. All right, coming up more with Bob Herrig on his new book, Tiger and Phil. Golf's most fascinating rivalry is T to Green continues here on The Fan. Whatever you're doing right now, just know that Bo Bishop is enjoying a sip of bourbon. Even if this promo is playing in the morning. No judgment. Ah, sweet morning drinking. The Fan. Back to Central Ohio's premier golf show with Skip Mossick. This is Tee to Green on Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Welcome back, everyone. We have another great golf prize pack that we're giving you the opportunity to win this weekend. We have balls from our friends at Titleist Golf out at the Virtues. We'll be out there in a few weeks. Some more fan goodies we'll throw in there for you as well. Very simple to enter. Send me a tweet by 11 a.m. at Skip Mossick or go to 971thefan.com. You can find me on Twitter there. Do it by 11 a.m. and send me the winner of this week's PGA event down in Mexico. We'll do a drawing of all those who picked the 
the winner correctly. Again, just one entry per person. Good luck, and hopefully this prize pack will be yours. This is Backspin. T to green. Backspin. As we continue our discussion with Bob Herrig, Bob's new book was released this week, Tiger and Phil, Golf's Most Fascinating Rivalry. And, Bob, when you look back at other golf rivalries over the years, the one that at least people around here talk about the most was the one between Palmer and Nicholas. And you can argue that there's some similarities in regards to their backgrounds growing up, much like Woods and Mickelson. But, you know, the difference is, do you see those guys ever being as friendly later in life as Jack and Arnie were? You know, I'm not sure we'll get to that point. I, I left the door open for it in the book, but, you know, I think the events of uh, the recent couple of months might might have, you know, driven a little bit more space between them again, um, uh, you know, because because they're on opposite sides of this of this issue. Um, you know, they, they clearly mellowed. They clearly um, came more to mutual respect um you know, they, they collaborated it, uh, on the 2016 Ryder Cup. Tiger was assistant captain. Phil was a player. Uh, Tiger told a great story about Phil offering to help him with his chipping uh, when, uh, when things went bad, uh, you know, in, in the mid, uh, you know, around 2015. And that had never been disclosed. Um, you know, they had the match in Vegas. They played the COVID uh, match with the quarterbacks in 2020. You know, I think that was a, a meeting of the minds due to due to commercial aspects. I, I think they saw it in their best interest to get along and be friendly. Um, you know, I don't know that they were ever going to be tight, but given the fact that they had were older, they had more perspective. Certainly, Tiger had more perspective. You know, a more of an appreciation for what Phil did. You know, that that turned the relationship, you know, sort of onto a you know onto a nicer platform. Uh, but I don't get the sense that they were ever close, um, and, and I'm not, I don't know that they needed to be. I mean, certainly Arnie and Jack, I think, got to be close in their later years. You know, they were friends. They, you know, there was the great story about about Jack, uh, you know, reaching out when Arnie's wife Winnie died, and and you know Arnie's uh, Jack's son was competing at Q School at the time, and Arnie didn't want him to leave. You know, and their wives were were pretty close, Barbara and Winnie. So that's not the case, I don't think, with Tiger and Phil. Now, you know, going forward, listen, recent events here have skewed this now. We don't know for sure, but, you know, you'd have thought Tiger and Phil would both be Ryder Cup captains for the U.S. It would make sense for them to assist each other. You know, it wouldn't make sense for Phil to be the captain and Tiger to not be there as assistant and vice versa. You know, so... I was sort of leaving open the door for things like that to occur. You know, they clearly could could have been or could be elder statesmen in the game. Uh, you know, their their voices are going to be – we're going to want to hear them for forever. And, look, they've got the ability to play the Masters in the Open uh, and the PGA forever, basically. You know, so so there's, there's that, that, you know, hope that they could catch lightning in a bottle again and, and, and be competitive. So – so there's that, uh, that still, but but obviously at a time that that it wasn't that friendly, and there were there was friction. You know, both players so incredibly popular with the fans, Bob, especially back in the heyday. You know, Woods though always seemed kind of standoffish because he was so laser focused when he was out there. You know, meanwhile Phil was always smiling and waving. You know, was that real out of Mickelson, or was he just playing a game almost to be the anti-Tiger? I mean, I, there's a lot of con- conjecture, and I get into this in the book. 
um, uh, that, um, you know, that Phil was doing that to be the anti-Tiger, that he saw the ability to, um, you know, to be more engaging, and that Tiger found it to be, you know, annoying. You know, Tiger was the grizzled great champion, and but Phil was beloved. You know, Phil was sort of the people's champion. And, uh, and and I come to the conclusion that whether Phil meant it or not, it's better to have faked it and, and tried to be engaging than to not done it at all. You know, Phil was always the guy who smiled, thumbs up, looked you in the eye, waved to the crowd, and he was doing that before Tiger came along. Uh, you know, signed a lot of autographs. Was he gritting his teeth? Was he annoyed doing it? Maybe sometimes. But the fact that he did it was was great. I mean, it's better than being standoffish and, and not being not doing it. Tiger was the blinders on guy. Didn't acknowledge people in the crowd. Didn't wave much. Didn't engage. And was you know less apt to sign autographs. Uh, but that was just his personality. I mean, after the after he came back from the scandal in 2010, you know, he tried to change. He tried to be more that way. He's more that he's more outgoing now. Certainly he acknowledges it now, but back then it was just really hard for him to do. You know, Bob, these two really didn't play practice rounds together. There was one infamous one in 98. It would be 20 years before they would play another one for people who are unaware. Tell us about that infamous practice round in 98. Yeah, that's a that's a fun little story that Phil has relished telling many times over the years and probably didn't help him any with Tiger. But, uh, uh, you know, they played a practice round in 1999. Eight at the LA Open, which that year was played at Valencia, the PGA Championship. Uh, no, they had for some they had some work being done, I believe, at Riviera, and so they moved it for that year. And uh, actually, Tiger lost that tournament in a playoff to Billy Mayfair. It's the only time he's lost a playoff right. on the PGA Tour. He's lost a couple in Europe, but that's the only time on the PGA Tour. Anyway, on the Tuesday of that week, it just so happened that they played a practice round with Phil. Phil always loving the action. They had some sort of a game. And as Phil tells the story, he won $500 off the Tiger, and Tiger paid him in five $100 bills. Phil, not content with the bragging rights and, and just the money, uh, took a picture of the, of the $100 bills and wrote a note on it to Tiger, Dear Tiger, these these Benjis are very happy in their new home. Thanks, Phil. And then he put it in Tiger's locker. Uh, coincidence or not, they didn't play another practice round for 20 years. So, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm guessing that that it didn't lead to 20 years, but it definitely led to no practice rounds in the short term. And then the way circumstances unfolded, they just weren't going to be playing practice rounds together. You know, from there into playing together, uh, it's important to remember all of that as any ill feelings would continue to build up until that 04 Ryder Cup pairing. And that I admit at the time I wanted to see as well. But boy, as it turned out, what a disaster. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing that you have to keep in mind is when it's criticized. You know, I try to go back and point out that there wasn't a lot of criticism before it happened before they played, there was a lot of excitement over them playing together. And yeah, there might've been some doubts. Certainly there was doubts that crept in. People wondered if this is going to work. Um, but uh, uh, obviously it didn't work. And, and I did a deep dive into why it didn't work. You know, I talked to everybody there pretty much and the captains and, you know, Hal, Hal Sutton 
was very, you know, blunt and honest. And, and, you know, I interviewed him, you know, for the book, you know, it's many, many years after the event. And you could tell it still bothered him. You know, in his mind, he felt it was wrong that he got so severely criticized. He felt, why can't these two guys just get along for one day and put it aside and, and play well? And they should have been able to play well. And there's some, there's some, I think, validity to that. But the other side of it was is that was the year that Phil finally broke through. He won the Masters, contended in all of the majors. Tiger contended in none of them. And so now it's September, and Tiger's had an off year by his standards. And the last thing he's going to do is be friendly with the guy who's starting to just, you know, make a few inroads. And it just wasn't his personality to do that. He, he played on the Saturday morning with Chris Riley, and Tiger and Chris Riley won. Riley calls it like the highlight of his career. And Tiger was very comfortable in that pairing. He, didn't, he knew Chris Riley wasn't going to be beating him at majors, and he was happy to help him. But Phil, not so much. And you could tell by their body language, you know, the guys they played against could sense it. Uh, some of their teammates could sense it. And, you know, it resulted in two losses that day, and at the time it was the worst loss in U.S. Ryder Cup history. In fact, you know, they matched it two years later. Uh, the, the U.S. got beat twice in a row by the same score, 18 and a half. Uh, to nine and a half, but that first one at Oakland Hills was a shocker. It was a home game. You've got, you know, a great, I don't think there was a single player on the European team at that point in time who had won a major and Tiger and Phil, you know, couldn't, couldn't lead them out of that mess. You know, Bob Herrig, last thing for you, you alluded to the different sides of both of these guys regarding the LIV series. You know, speaking of which, you know, Greg Norman wasn't exactly popular with his peers back in his heyday. Of Mickelson and Woods, are either, I guess, less popular among their peers because of either similar success or how they treated others on the rise to their success? Yeah, I think there was some there was some of that feeling towards both guys along the way. That seems to have subsided now with Tiger. He's pretty beloved by by all of his peers now. They just appreciate what he did, how great he was, how humbled he's become. You know, I think Tiger or uh, Phil probably annoyed some guys along the way, and now they're sort of snickering at what's going on. The, there's the sense that Phil always knew it all. You know, Phil had all the answers. He was the smartest guy in the room. And now it's kind of backfired on him. And there's definitely a segment of player who believes that, uh, you know, that sort of Phil has what's coming. I mean, it's, it's funny because I don't think 20 years ago that was the attitude, even maybe 10, you know, and it's, and it's flipped. So just like at the beginning of the year, if you would have told me Tiger was going to play the Masters and Phil wasn't, I just said, you know, give me some odds on that, hmm. you know. And, and obviously that did happen. It's crazy that it happened. I mean, I don't think anybody could have foreseen that, you know, two months ago even. You couldn't, you couldn't have foreseen that. Well, there's a whole lot more of these great stories. Tiger and Phil, golf's most fascinating rivalry by Bob Harrig. It was just released this past week and available everywhere. Bob, we always appreciate your time. Best of luck with the book, and we'll touch base soon, okay? I really appreciate it. Thanks, Skip. All right, coming up, we will hit the range and visit with local PGA professional Wyatt Worthington. Big deal for Wyatt as he qualified for next month's PGA Championship down at Southern Hills. That is next as T to Green continues here on The Fan. 
Want to know anything about the fans' contest? How to win? Or what's up for grabs? Check out 971thefan.com. The Fan, Ohio's sports destination. You are listening to T to Green with the fan Skip Mossick. Skip Mossick. This is Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Welcome back, everyone. Another great golf prize pack we have in the, uh, in the in the works for you this week. Balls from our friends at Titleist. We've got some golf out at the Virtues for you. We'll be out there in a couple of weeks. Some more fan goodies as well. Very simple to enter. Send me a tweet by 11 a.m. at Skip Mossick or go to 971thefan.com. You can find me on Twitter there. Do it by 11 a.m. and uh, send me the winner of this week's PGA event down in Mexico. We'll do a drawing of all those who pick the winner correctly. Again, just one entry per person and good luck, and hopefully this prize pack will be yours. You are listening to Tita Green's On the Range. On the Range is presented by PXG. Nobody makes golf clubs the way they do, period. As we hit the range over at the Golf Depot, we welcome in PGA professional Wyatt Worthington II. Wyatt finished tied for fourth in the PGA Professional Championship a week and a half ago down in Texas. Good enough to qualify for the upcoming PGA Championship in a few weeks down at Southern Hills. This is the second time he's been able to do this. So, uh, Wyatt, good morning. First of all, congratulations. Take us through the PGA Professional championship i know to advance you always need some breaks in addition to playing well was it as smooth for you as it appeared uh absolutely not (laughs) i'll be lying to you if i said otherwise uh i will say i got off to a rocky start uh on day one and i turned it on on the back nine and i wish my back nine was as smooth sailing as the uh as the rest of the event but that was not the case uh the third day uh was pretty much what made the tournament um i probably hit the ball the worst but i fought and you know struggled and i just hung in there um i haven't had one of those rounds in a while i think when i did the stats i got up and down probably eight or nine times so it was uh it was it was quite the fight so um for, for me to you know stay in the red when i was struggling uh uh, throughout that time, even though it may not have looked like it, I was uh, going through it, if you will. So, yeah, great, great, uh, great turnout. Obviously, it would have been uh, more icing on the cake if I won, but uh, we got the job done. So, uh, ready to, you know, go back to playing another major. Well, I can't believe it's been six years. Uh, take us back six years ago. What was your favorite memory from the last time you played in the PGA Championship, and and what do you hope to maybe embrace a little bit more this time around? Uh, my favorite memory? That's a great question. Uh, believe it or not, it's actually all the love and support that I got um, from not only fans, but uh, peers as well, too, from, from when it comes to, you know, the tour, uh, you know, great people from Sean Foley, Sean, myself, and Jerry Hammond, a lot of love. Uh, but actually, it was the fans, believe it or not. Um, and the consensus, what I got from the fans is that, you know, we need more diversity uh, and inclusion in, into the game. And, and it's no secret that, uh, well, first, golf is crazy expensive. And uh, there's, not that, there's not that much represent, representation on tour. Um, and uh, the PGA of America, so uh, I know they're doing uh, doing a lot better than it has been. But the best memory is to have uh, you know the friends show support and, and having more representation because at the end of the day, uh, we're all you know guilty of uh, being a product of our environment, right? So, uh, with that being said, is you know when you're a kid, you're looking on TV, you want to inspire you know 
whether it be, you know, basketball player, football player, uh, you know, golfer, whatever the case may be. And um, for, you know, all the little kids and uh, that would just, that looked like me, walked up to me and asked for my autograph. That's, that's really what it's all about. And it's changed. And I know uh, not to get too rambling on um, the APGA, uh, has done a fantastic job of that when it comes to trying to uh, get more representation on the tour there. You know, Wyatt, I know you've played on this stage before, but what are the feelings when you look up and down the range and see who you're competing against? Oh, uh, it's, man, I can't believe I'm here. Uh, and this is in no particular order. I can't believe I'm here. Okay, let's lock in and focus on the job that we do. Whoa, that is Tiger Woods right there. That's Roy. Okay, stay focused. Stay focused. <laughs> uh, stay in your way. So, uh, no, in all seriousness, it's it's a uh, it's every golfer's dream uh, to play at the you know highest level to some shape or form fashion, and you know to be inside the ropes. Uh, and for me to have that experience again, it's. I definitely not take it for granted. Um, I want to soak it in every moment, you know, with friends and family and, and, you know, great supporters such as yourself. So definitely going to look forward to it. Wyatt, love asking these questions as a local Central Ohio kid. Where did you play the most growing up, and and when did you realize, hey, I'm pretty good? Uh, I never – well, first, I never think I'm really good. I'm always striving to be better, so that – I'm. It, I don't know if that's a gift or a curse. Uh, just <laughs> constantly trying to improve and whatnot. Uh, but I actually grew up uh, at driving ranges, um, the dome, um, and obviously it's not there anymore. Uh, and I would say uh, Bridgeview, which is unfortunately not there um, as well. So uh, that would probably uh, where you'd see me spend the most time. Um, I was there, but I've also. I think it's enough time has passed now that I can kind of say this without getting in trouble. I've kind of snuck on golf courses. Uh, <laughs> uh, such, <laughs> I don't want to disclose the names, uh, but no, uh, you know, Turnberry golf course would be another one. Blackwick, uh, those would be the ones that uh, I kind of snuck on from uh, time to time. So, yeah. <laughs> You're not the only one, trust me. Why? Why? Yeah, absolutely. Why? You brought up diversity and inclusion. You were part of a select group of pros who got to attend the Masters a year ago when Lee Elder was an honorary starter. Thank goodness they were able to do that before he passed. But what was that whole experience like for you? Yeah, uh, I had so many mixed emotions. Um, not to get too deep on you, but it was a surreal moment. Um, you know, meeting Lee Elder, he was, you know, the first African-American to play in the Masters. So living, literally at the time, he was a living legend. I shook his hand and just to hear him speak and have stories, uh, you know, for, you know, for days of what he went through and, you know, what other uh, African-Americans had to go through in this sport, it was unbelievable. And just to step foot on property at the Masters, it People say this time and time again, but you don't understand or fathom or you just have to see it to see it when you're there. And what I mean by that is the uh, hills, the whole the whole uh, piece of property. It's unbelievable. TV doesn't do it justice and TV does an amazing job of it. Right. Uh, a fantastic job of showing Augusta and it gets even better in person. Uh, the second or I guess this, the second and third thing that I also noticed was knowing that uh, minorities, if you will, uh, more specifically African-Americans, that, man, we have a, we have a long way to go. Um, and just to kind of give you a, a little bit of history uh, that I recently found out by Bob Denny, he's a PGA of America uh, historian. I thought I was, uh, at the time, like one 
of like 10 uh, minorities that ever are African-American to ever play in a major championship. And he did his due diligence wow. and digging and found out that it's uh, I'm one of 26 to ever put a tee in the ground and play in a major in the history of golf, only 26 African-Americans. So uh, I got that sense that, you know, like I said, I'm very fortunate and blessed to be on that list, but also, you know, we have a long way to go and that's what I was kind of feeling at the Masters so um, unbelievable experience great time meeting Lee Elder once in a lifetime to be part of that history PGA professional Wyatt Worthington the second you can go check him out over at the Golf Depot Wyatt again congratulations on making the PGA championship you know we'll be pulling hard for you here in a couple of weeks down at Southern Hills okay thank you so much Skip I'll, I'll probably uh, need your game to uh, get through <laughs> you got it <laughs> thank you so much you definitely doesn't need my game well someone else who definitely has game is john rom who leads by two heading into the weekend at this week's pga event at the mexico open we'll hear from rom next as t to green continues here on the fan on air online on the app new methods of consumption same great radio taste take us with you everywhere the fan ohio sports destination this is t to green with skip mossick on the fan ohio sports destination Welcome back, everyone. The Mexico Open is underway this week. It's the first time for this event being under the PGA Tour umbrella. And your leader at the midway point is John Rahm, who played really well the first couple of days. 64-66 for Rahm, who sits at minus 12. He leads by two. Rahm with the press following Friday's round. John, how would you compare this round? Eight birdies today, playing in the afternoon, compared to yesterday's round. Well, the wind makes it a completely different golf course. Um, yesterday, we, you know, except the last four holes or so, we, we enjoyed a, a wind-free day. And, you know, you can be a little bit more aggressive with, with certain shots. Uh, even with a couple longer irons, you just be comfortable hitting it at the pin because, you know, this green is receptive. Um, on the other hand, today, a couple of the par fives were shorter. Yes, but, man, some holes were playing long. Ten was long, eight was long. 9 and 13 were playing very, very difficult. You need to hit some quality shots in those holes, especially at the end. I mean, 16 and 17, you need to hit great shots to give yourself chances. Uh, and even 18, I mean, it is a par 5, but it's not the easiest for me to hit uh, with that crosswind. So I feel like I might be a little bit more satisfied with today's score than yesterday. Yesterday, I felt like I was really under control and rel- relatively speaking, stress-free. Right? Today was uh, you know, a bit more of a grind. Um, but still, you know, really, really good run of golf. What, what stood out in your game today? Um, you know, and was there a particular hole or a shot that stood out? Oh, if I had to say one shot, it was the shot of nine. I mean, the six iron was perfect, and having three feet for birdie there, <laughs> you know, it's 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 a huge bonus. I think my iron game was was really really good today. Um, was really under control, and you know, in those windy conditions, I was hitting hitting it really really solid. So I was never really too surprised about where my ball was ending up and I was always in a good position. Um, that's probably why I had so many Liberty Loops out there today. And just the goal here is to get in contention early in the tournament. You've done that. You're on the lead. What do you look for in the weekend? More of the same. Um, keep hitting a good tee to green uh, and keep making putts. You know, um, I've been playing really good. I can't really complain about anything I'm doing right now. So 
uh, hopefully I can keep that, that good bull strike and go in and uh, keep rolling it the way I have. Again, John Rahm, your leader by two heading to the, to the weekend, but a whole lot of guys within striking distance. Again, you have until 11 to get me your pick via Twitter at Skip Mossick for your chance at this week's golf prize pack. Busy day here on the fan. Common Man and T-Bone weekend are next. NFL draft coverage continues at noon. Crew in action later tonight hosting D.C. United. For Hayden Heilstorm, I'm Skip Mossick. Enjoy the golf this weekend, and we'll talk to you again next Saturday morning right here on the fan. Church next Sunday to save me from those double bogey blues.